The Outpost Radio On Demand. Here's Art Young from The Outpost Magazine. By now, especially if you're an Outpost reader or listener, you've probably seen the award-winning movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio entitled Revenant. Hi, I'm Art Young, and I'm the only guy in the English-speaking world who has not seen this movie. Why? (laughs) Because I was waiting to have this conversation with a man who knows more about Hugh Glass, Jim Bridger, and all those other characters in the movie than anybody else I know. Joining us on the outpost today is an is author, singer, songwriter, playwright, actor, painter, my God, he does everything, an expert on the real story behind behind the crawl made by glass. Welcome to the uh, outpost, Bobby Bridger. Oh, it's good to be back, Art. Good to hear nice you to all. Ha- yeah, nice <laughs> to have you here. You know, many people who read the outpost every month are active outdoor people. They hunt, they fish regularly. Some have even hunted bear. Uh-huh. And more than a uh-huh, yeah, more than a few of them have told me when they saw the scene in the movie where the grizzly bear violently attacks Hugh Glass, it made the hair on their neck stand up a little bit. What was that scene in the movie fictional or based on a fact? That that is uh one of the most accurate uh aspects of the movie is the it, and I referred to it in a uh a little piece that I wrote about it as a, a primal, a brutal primal ballet, uh, and it had it, it for anyone who's studied the history of of the mauling and the bear with Hugh Glass, uh, it, it it really resonated with me because on several levels because uh, she. Uh, came at him several times, and that's depicted in the film. And that's also very consistent with everything I've read about the Great Great Plains grizzly, which is now extinct, Uh, uh, and and any other bear attacks is that they they attack in that manner. Uh, And I, I think they went so far as to suggest that she was feeding parts of bears uh, of glasses flesh to her cubs which hmm. was indicated in the uh, all the tellings mm-hmm. of the tale uh the other thing is that uh in the middle of the mauling he has the after already being uh, severely wounded he has the the for the the force of will to uh, crawl to his hawking and cock it because he knows she's going to make another run at him. And that shot, of course, that rings in history too. She shoots him and he shoots her in the heart. Uh, she comes back at him again and so forth and ends up with him killing her with a knife and her falling on top of him. Uh, as the mountain men said in one of the journals, I think James Kleiman said she fell on him and smothered him. She was on top mm-hmm. of him, mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. that she was. Uh, that was where the fight ended. Uh, and all of that is very accurately and brutally depicted in in the film, and it is it's very intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they they are to be commended for the way they 
depicted it, I think. Yeah, you know, uh, the reason why you're the you're the expert on this, and it, it goes back a long time. In uh, I think 1975, if my memory serves me correctly, you created what many think is a, a masterpiece called Seekers of the Fleece, and I've seen this and read it and, and been immersed in it, I guess, from the beginning since we knew each other so many years ago. It's part of the trilogy called Ballad of the West. Now, how did you get involved in this? How did you get interested in this? And why did you start focusing on this topic? Well, by 1975, I had already been involved with the the, the search for 12 years at that point. Uh, I started in 1963. <laughs> I had a, a great old great uncle named Archie Bridger uh, who... Uh, was much, much older than me when we had these encounters. We very rarely uh, crossed each other's past except, you know, on holidays and so forth. But we had one of those moments that was very awkward of a young kid and an old man. And uh, I think he was 88 at the time, and I was 18. And he said, I read in the Reader's Digest this morning, Bobby, that about this old mountain man named Jim Bridger whose hair supposedly went white overnight. You know those little fillers they used to have in Reader's mm-hmm. I do. I do remember those. Uh, they probably still do. And uh, uh, he said, you should see if we're, somebody in our family needs to see maybe if we're related to him. And, you know, you're a young kid. Why don't you do something about that? And that's not the way he said it, but... Uh, I could have cared less (laughs) about whether I was related to Jim Bridger or not. But uh, uh, as fate would have it, uh, within a few months, uh, an old English teacher, Balladeer, I was singing folk music at the time already, and I crossed paths with him, and he wanted me to go up to Arkansas to uh, study the old songs so that I I could learn some of them, and uh, he could teach them in his class, his ballads. And that was what got me started on true ballad hunting. And I'm I'm going to do this real fast. Uh, He helped me, and within six months' time of study in the library, we had been through most of the American folk music collection at the time, all the Lomax songs. Wow. Wow. uh, Found nothing about Jim Bridger, which is what I was looking for. And... Moreover, we discovered that when you get, you've got all sorts of you've got sea shanties, you've got Appalachian ballads, murder ballads, uh, slave songs in the South during uh, slavery, uh, gospel songs, uh, all sorts of things. But when you get out west, uh, a funny thing happens. All of the Western ballads, ninety-nine percent of are post-1870, and they're cowboy songs, mm-hmm. which has been, it's been a really uh, an interesting ride for me because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the cowboy genre of Western singers, you see. And so it's, it's a kind of a genre all itself. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and, that, and that's where it started. Because Dr. James said to me at that point, well, you, if we, there's a void here, Bobby. He said, you know what you do when you find a void, don't you? And I said, what? He said, you jump in. 
and so I did. And uh, then we started, he said, let's look in some actual history books. I'll see if I can get some leads for you and give you a list and so forth. And that's where I discovered about uh, a, a biography on Jim Bridger and a, 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 a glancing knowledge of this thing with this relationship with Hugh Glass, with Jim Bridger's relationship with this old mountain man as a, when he was a young boy. And then in 1965, I stumbled onto a song called, uh, or a, a poem called The Song of Hugh Glass by John G. Neihart. And that has been the 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 spinning point for me ever since because that that was one part of Nyhart's master, true masterpiece, A Cycle of the West, which was a Homeric poem hmm. meticulously historically researched, uh, chronicling the West from the first white man to venture, uh, non-government man to venture into the West to live, the mountain man, all the way up through modern times. And that was, of course, my template for a ballad of the West, right? And I spent the next five or six years recording in Nashville and learning how to write and produce records with Fred Carter, but also digging deeper and deeper into this cycle of the West to the point that I knew I had to consolidate it. And by 1972, I finally finished. Well, actually, 71, I finished. Seekers of the Fleece, the prototype, uh, mm -hmm. ballad of the same, using the same template. And that's that's where all this comes from. Nyhart's wow. first poem of the cycle was the song of Hugh Glass, which he wrote in 1915. And he's generally given credit for being the first person to bring the Glass story up out of the uh, the mists of history and the ashes of campfires into legitimate classic literature. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a new uh, single, which is kind of an interesting thing I want to talk about in a few minutes, called Seekers of the Fleece, The Crawl, which is uh, one of those... Uh, one of those things that you can do when you're an independent producer like you are. I don't, I don't know that any. I don't know that any record label would uh, would let you do this. But by God, if you if you run the record label, you can do what you want to, and it is it is absolutely haunting. I put it in my I put it in my computer and listened to it when I when I got it several weeks ago, and I thought, oh my God, this is a this is a really interesting. And uh, like I said, I want to come back and talk about that because that's an important yeah. part of this interview. But tell yeah. me how your story, how your Seekers of the Fleece, the Crawl, all of those, how is that different from the movie? How's the how how did the movie get off track, and 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 how did it get off base from reality versus oh. cinema? So many ways, and and it, it is so confusing art for me because. I have spent my life, uh, as I said, in that void uh, that Dr. James and I found a long time ago when I jumped in. There's, uh, uh, I was the first person in there uh, doing this kind of thing. And so as an artist, you, you understand, uh, and as, as particularly as a playwright, I've had to, for example, Jim, Brid Jim Bridger had three Indian wives, okay? 
in Seekers of the Police, I marry him to one of them, okay? Mm -hmm. And I've had historians come after me and go, well, why did you have one and not all three, you see? Mm -hmm. I've had Indians come at me from the other angle going, well, why did you say this or why did you say that? Uh, it, 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 so as you have to take certain poetic license to create something that is the essence of a hundred years of history into a 90-minute piece, you see. Mm-hmm. So you have to consolidate and, and get th- boiled things down to essence. So I understand artistically uh, that these people were uh, making this movie were uh, kind of bound to, to do certain things to create uh, the dramatic tension they needed to to create. So artistically, I I, I have to go. Okay, we'll we'll give them a pass here and here and there. And then I have to put on another hat, the historian hat, and it's just all over the place. <laughs> and and uh, so I'll start with the fact that it's set in the Rocky Mountains, and most of the tale occurred out on the Great Plains. Hmm. Uh, and there's a big difference in culture, Indian culture and other kind of Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also in a different environment. What do you What do you eat? What do you uh, What What do you the whole sustenance of, of crawling and surviving on the plains is a different thing than is depicted in the Rocky Mountains. You see, mm-hmm. so um, uh, that that to begin with. Uh, but you see, people want their mountain men in the mountains. Of course, of course. <laughs> and and that makes pretty movies. And so you have to go. Okay, well, let's make a story and let's well, let's get to the essence here. So I'm just back and forth and back and forth. You see, with it, and uh, it's it's very difficult for me at this point. I'm I'm working on it at this at now with it. Now there's another very important point. That uh, and it, it'll exemplify frustration with it. Uh, the battle scene in the opening of the film on the Missouri River, which is uh, actually uh, quite different there than it than it is out on the Great Plains, uh, is a extremely accurate, in my opinion, from everything I've read depiction of a fight between the Arikara Indians and the Ashley Henry Fur Expedition of 1823. Uh, it's it's chilling, it's stunning, it's so... Uh, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a fight like that where the sounds were as important as what you were seeing. The, the, the source of the sounds. It was like arrows were coming from behind you and shooting into trees beside you or something. And it wasn't in 3D. Uh, so there was a, that, that, that was really an amazing feat. Uh, however, uh, it, it, that happened out on the Great Plains again. And it was an extremely important fight that they were depicting historically because it uh, it involved the Sioux and the Arikara and the U.S. government for the first time. 
and it led to the 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 government the US government just being there and the Sioux doing the fighting and running the Arica out on the Great Plains and opening up the passageway for the Sioux to cross the Missouri and seize that land and become the great uh, aggressive force that they were about to become anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that fight was historic with all three parties, with the government, with the independent uh, enterprising uh, fur company men and the Indian tribes of the area. And it was, they, they had to, they had to consolidate again. I understand. So it, but that that is going on throughout the film for me. And so I, it's right. I'm a hard one to get a real. Uh, it, it reminds me of the old uh, uh, joke about ambiguity. Uh, what what happens in vagueness stays in vagueness. <laughs> It does indeed. It does stay in <laughs> Very funny. That's a fun. I never heard that, but uh, that's very funny. Well, I can imagine. I mean, you know so much about this, the background on this, and you've, you know, you spent your life building your story and your your the whole mountain man uh, story that you've researched. Uh, part of it has come out in this new record, which we want to hear a little excerpt of. And uh, your timing is impeccable on this because the movie is so hot. And we're going to come back and talk about that. But first, let's listen to a little bit of uh, The Crawl by Bobby Bridger. A good shot and it killed him clean and now he's wounded. Damn, it's me to be the cause of anything and dying very slow. You said that he'd tracked the deer, then smiled and slowly disappeared, a laughing under his gray beard. He slipped into the willers. Was that a scream? I know it was. My God, the grizzly's time for cubs. Hang on, you. I'll hurry. Major Henry asked for two to stay behind and wait on you, but he really only asked for one cause I'll stay until it's done. Lord, if he could only die, but still he breathes, still he cries. A man could hardly recognize this bloody pile of buckskin. Days come in, and days go out. Fitzgerald's face is full of doubt, and you continues with his bow. And engines, they just wait us out. Fitzgerald, stop your whining. Stop your blessed pining. I know the engines want her hire. Let them have it. I don't care. I'm staying here and waiting, waiting on this albatross, this mean old gray beard grizzly ghost. I'll wait for his resigning, but he just lies there sighing. For two days he's been dying, while savages are eyeing this hair upon my head. Fitzgerald says he's dead. How many times he said? That voice is one of the best character actors ever. Slim Pickens. 
Now, how was he to work with, Bobby? Oh, every time I hear him, I just it breaks my heart. He's not still with us. It just uh, he he was. If Slim had asked me to meet him on the top of the Grand Tetons for the New Year's Eve celebration, they'd have found me frozen on the way up there. <laughs> uh, because he, he was just that kind of person. He was uh he was as real as as the sun and uh as as a, a, a mystic. People uh, have no idea that that the, the character was so funny in the movies and always comic relief or whatever. He was a damn good actor and really a mystic personality. Uh, uh, what a joy he was. Easy to work with. <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, uh, there's nobody with a voice like that. I know that. And now, no. now, how can someone get the crawl? You've got a, well, I guess it's a seven to ten minute uh, piece here. to what used to be called a single. How does somebody download uh, the Seekers of the Fleece, the crawl? They can get it at my at my website, BobbyBridgerMusic.com, and uh, uh, they can also get it at CD Baby as a single. Uh, we uh, were able to get it in their time restriction there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you'll remember one of my early idols was Marty Robbins, and El Paso was... Uh, yeah, six old... six minutes and something, or seven minutes and something. Yeah, the old Disc Jockey's Bathroom song. Absolutely. On... That and yeah. MacArthur Park. MacArthur Park yeah. and <laughs> Inagata de Vida. And, uh, yeah, yeah those are, there's, a, there's three or four of them that we could make a little bathroom run to. Yeah, well, has uh, a, has the movie been good for your for your stage? I mean, are you gonna uh, what are you gonna do with this now that you've got a a whole new group of fans who kind of understand the story? Uh, what's on tap for Bobby Bridger and and the Seekers of the Fleece? Well, well, I think what we're doing now, is we you know, we had to. It, it was again, it was it's been very delicate because uh, you can't come out whining. We did this when Leonardo was still in diapers and that kind of thing. You know, that's. That just that doesn't befit anyone. Uh, what we want is what they did, and that is bringing this story again out before the American public because it is genuinely an American myth, basically. And uh, so that's good for everybody because it's good for us to understand this part of our history. And uh, so so little is known about the fur trade. And for years, Hollywood has never been able to get a grasp on the fur trade. So yes, uh, uh, I'm going to uh, to to move with it. We what we did was was valid because we recorded Secrets of the Fleece 40 years ago in July of 1975, and when the trailer for The Revenant came out, the first one in July, we were doing the video for the cycle song, and uh, which you guys played uh, on uh, your radio. Absolutely. Uh, outlet here. And uh, man, my Facebook and uh, email pages just lit up immediately that Leonardo was going to play you glass. And, oh, they, some people were Going, I heard you consulted on it, and I, I didn't have any idea what was going on. And so uh, we were planning on doing a, a celebration and acknowledging the 
the uh, the anniversary, but wow. So once we got Vagabond Heart out and running, that was when we were able to uh, link with the Revenant, if you will, with Seekers of the Police. And so now what I'm into uh, uh, doing is, is letting people know that uh, the Hugh Glass saga is part of a Ballad of the West. It's indeed a, a large part of it. It's it's about a uh, a fifteen to twenty minute section, but the full three hour three and a half hours of a ballad of the West is 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 a lot more than that. And if they like the Revenant, well, then they'll like the rest of a ballad of the West. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, stunning. It's it was stunning the first time I heard it. Yeah, it goes into the whole the whole thing from the mountain men forward into the Indian Wars and everything. So, so uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm very happy. I think I I've, I've seen the film twice. I went uh, uh, soon after it came out, and then I wrote a little review that's uh, at my on a blog at my website. And I'm probably going to write something else later on because uh, of this just absolute confusion about it. Uh, it actually played right into my book, uh, Where the Tall Grass Grows, which breaks down the whole uh, evolution of the Western itself. And... Uh, the the ending of the film is what bothers me the most because Seekers of the Police it deals with Hugh Glass forgiving Jim Bridger. And that is the trigger that made Jim Bridger rise from just being a, a, a kind of a young kid out there amongst uh, the unknown, really. Uh to rise from that to become what now, who is now recognized as the uh, premier American mountain man. Mm -hmm. uh, More so than Hugh Glass or any of the other characters. Yeah. And indeed, as I said in this uh, reflections that I wrote about the movie, uh, 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 Hugh Glass is really a phantom. We, we uh, aside from the mauling itself and this man being attacked by a great white bear and two men being left behind and deserting him, uh, uh, we know very little about him. And uh, so, as I said in that thing that I wrote, we're all poets, historians, movie makers, everybody is interpreting this story of this man being mauled by this bear and crawling uh, 200 miles uh, to catch up with the people that left him. Now, what he does when he catches up with him is very significant in our interpretations. Mine has to do with forgiveness. Uh, This one has more to do with surrendering revenge uh and and yet they're all interpretations and that mm-hmm. becomes mythologies and i said what this film really represents it now joins uh 
in the heart of the sea, into the wild, their finest hour, the Martian, uh, wild. It's a, Holly, it's a Hollywood construct. Yes, and it comes along in a zeitgeist now that has to do with survival mm-hmm. in nature. And that's because we are we have both conscious and subconscious concerns about environmental uh, reality right now. And uh, that's why these myths are returning, uh, as they always do. Myths, myths come back reflecting the culture and the times of the culture. And so if I have anything to share about it, it's that, that that's what this is. It's a reflection of our con- environmental concerns right now. We have been talking to the always fascinating Bobby Bridger, who uh, may be the most knowledgeable expert on Hugh Glass and the entire mountain man culture that I know. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Uh, it was my pleasure, and I, I deeply appreciate this time to share my opinions about it, and uh, I'm honored that you invite me on your program, Mark. Thank Absolutely, you. and if you're out there in the wilderness today, remember that story of Hugh Glass, and be careful out there. I'm Mark <laughs> Young, and we'll talk again soon. Damn my eyes, my courage dies, his spirit cries. Damn my eyes, my courage dies, his spirit cries, deserter. He never died. We ran and lied. And now I see his fair eyes calling, deserter. Gerald and Bridger then withdrew and started after Henry's crew and told them that they'd buried you and they had his gun to prove it. But Glass swore he'd live instead and tracked the cowards that left him for dead and then he rose from his deathbed and he made his crawl to lose it. all around me hurt and fear surround me sundown you've found me Can't believe I'm breathing Life, please don't be leaving One last chance I'm asking I am
and I'll crawl till I run and I'll end this thing undone and I'll find that hated pain that left me And he'll pray to God to die. The Outpost Radio On Demand from the On Demand page of theoutpostlife.com. Rocky Mountain.